Oh, please turn for me this evening to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O oh Lord, for I am weak. O oh Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My friends, we're looking this evening at uh, this uh, sixth psalm, a psalm written by David, and my title is The Cure for a Guilty Conscience. How can we deal with a guilty conscience? What should we do with a guilty and troubled conscience? That's what we're looking at. And you read uh, this particular psalm, who said it's written by David, King David, and it's uh, a penitential psalm, uh, the first of uh, seven uh, penitential psalms that you find in this book. And we see here David, uh, he's in a real state, isn't he? He's in a perplexed state. He's in a very uh, distressed state as you read through this book. This king, uh, this ruler, is in a troubled and, and anxious uh, con condition. And uh, he's, he's, there's something that's really got to him. And he can't sleep at night. And he's troubled at night. It's affecting his, his, his sleep. He, he talks about being weary with, with groaning. And verse 6, all the night make I my bed to swim. He's, he's weeping through the night. Something is making him very, very sad and very, very concerned. It's quite an intense psalm, isn't it, as you're reading it? Because David was a very emotional person. But this is not just emotion that is coming out of him. This is something that is welling up from the depths of his heart, something that has got to him and is troubling him, and he can't get rid of it. And you, you perhaps you're wondering, well, what is it? What is it that's brought David into such an agitated, distressed state of mind? Why is he so very uh, troubled that he cannot find peace? Sorrow has overwhelmed his heart, and he is... He's uh, sad beyond words can even express. He just pours out his soul. He weeps uh, a day and night, it seems. And it, uh, we may think perhaps he's bereaved. He's going through bereavement of some kind and he's lost a loved one, but that's not the case. Or it may be some outward circumstance. He's fallen into some difficulty in life and it's, he's in a precarious dangerous place, but that's not probably in mind. We don't actually know the exact external situation that David was in when he wrote this psalm. But what we do know, friends, is the reason why he felt this way. It was because of his sin. Very simply put, it was his sin that was troubling him and disturbing his rest. He felt... He, he had offended God. Not only felt it, he knew that he had offended God. We don't know what particular sin is in mind here, but it wasn't some small, minor thing. It was here some serious sin that uh, he had committed, and God had now hidden his face from him. And he felt in his, his conscience the guilt of what he had done. He had felt uh, unhappy, and uh, he couldn't find his Savior as he had done before, and he couldn't find 
when he came to God in prayer, as it were, he couldn't find him, and he is troubled by all these things. This is what's agitating him. This is what is greatly distressing him. Guilt is upon his mind. Guilt is upon his conscience. Guilt because of what he has done. He has sinned against his God, against his Lord. He has offended him in some serious way, and he feels guilty for what he has done. What should he do? What should he do, David, with your guilt? Why are you in this state? What, how should you address it? Bury it? Is that what we would say? Bury it? Hide it? Pretend it's not there, David? If we were alongside David and you're trying to encourage him, what would you say, friends, to him? Oh, just get on with life, David. You're a king. You've got other things to, to worry about. You can put this to one side. Be a man, David. Be a man. Grow up. Get beyond these things. Oh, take up whistling. <laughs> you know, uh, take up gardening. Take the dog out for a walk. This will help you. This will cure you. This will, you know, get your mind off these things, David. Don't be dwelling on these things. That's not going to help him. No, that's not what he's going to do. David knows. He knows what he has to do. He has to get alone with God. He has to turn to God. He has to seek the one whom he has offended. He has to cry to him for mercy, whistling, dog walking. That won't help him. God, he knows. He's gracious. And though he has offended him, personally offended him in some bad way, he knows at the same time God is a pardoning God. God will forgive him if he will cry to him, if he will turn to him and for, ask, ask him for forgiveness, if he will turn to this God that he has come to know and he will restore him because that's what he is like. That's what his character is like. Oh, friends, David's example here in this psalm is, uh, is an example left for you and I to follow. What should we do when we are troubled by guilt? When we are plagued by our guilt? Go to God. Go to God. Forget other means. You need to go to the Lord. You need to ask Christ to forgive you, to save you, to cleanse you. You need to ask Him to wash you through His shed blood to take away your guilt. That's what is happening here. David is directing his prayer to God crying to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, friends, we know, and you don't need me to tell you this, but guilt is common to all of us. We all experience it at some point or other. Sometimes we feel guilty over things that are really rather small and minor. Oh, I shouldn't have eaten that chocolate bar, which I did, and I feel guilty about that. Or perhaps I, I, I ought to have gone for a run it was a bit cold, but I should have done it, and you may feel guilty about that. Oh, I, I never invited that person to my birthday party. I didn't, didn't really want to, but I feel a bit guilty for not inviting them. Well, these are small things in life. And you may, this is not what's in mind here. Sometimes people, people feel guilty when they really do not really need to feel guilty. There's no need for them to do so. I'm sure you've heard of a survivor guilt, somebody who's been through some great trauma in their life. Perhaps they've 
come, they've been in a, in a, car, in a car crash or a, or a plane crash. And everyone else on the plane has, uh, has died as a result of the crash. And they've survived. And they, they, they say afterwards, well, we feel guilty. I should have died as well. Or perhaps they, in some other way, a, a tsunami uh, takes place and, and people in the village are, are, are all washed away and perhaps there's just a few people left and one or two of those will think, well, I should have also died and they feel guilty for remaining alive. They don't need to, they've done nothing wrong. But they, they attribute guilt in that way. Some people feel guilty when they put, have to put their elderly parent into a care home. And uh, they feel bad about that, but they didn't have a choice. The, it was so difficult to look after that, that particular parent. Uh, they needed so much attention, 24-hour attention, round-the-clock attention, and they just couldn't give it. The best thing for them was to be in the care home. But even though they knew that, they did that, they still felt guilty as a, as a child. But again, they didn't need to feel guilty because they did something for, out of love for their parent. But uh, that's not in mind here. Survival guilt or this uh, uh, guilt which we mentioned is not the thing that David felt. The thing that David felt here, the kind of guilt that he had was personal guilt. Personal guilt over personal sin. Things that he had done in his life against the Lord. And for this, he was uh, guilty and he was aggrieved. David's guilt was not mi a minor thing, nor was it an undeserved thing. He deserved to feel like this because he had offended God. And it's quite right for him to feel guilty because it's a great offense to sin against one who is our creator, who is our God, who is holy and righteous in all his ways. And to offend him, we are, we are made to please him. To offend him is a, is a great offense. And this is the kind of guilt that David is struggling with uh, here in this chapter. And this is what I want to talk about uh, tonight. A guilt that comes as a consequence of breaking God's law. Guilt because I've chosen to live made a, a choice to live as a rebel against my maker and to have nothing to do with him. Guilt because I've taken my life from God. I've taken all that he has, all the good things that he gives to me. I've taken the skills. I've taken the, the abilities. I've taken all that he provides me in life. I happily take all that he supplies and I give him nothing in return. Well, if I do live like that, I, it's, it's right that I should feel guilty. And God is unhappy with us. David felt something of this, not only guilt, but that God was unhappy with us, with him. Look, unhappy really is a very soft word I'm using. David felt God's anger. David felt, look, verse 1, chasten me not, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger. Neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. God was angry with him. He felt it. God was displeased with him. And uh, this, uh, he felt it in his soul. A guilty, troubled feeling within. And he couldn't make it go away. 
uh, initially for a while. But uh, this is, friends, guilt, though it is so troubling to us, is actually for our benefit. God allows us to feel it and to know it so that we will turn to Him as a result of it. If we didn't have any feelings of guilt, well, we would just go on sinning. If we were left in a comfortable state, every time we sin, we would think there's nothing wrong in doing it. But when our conscience convicts us and tells us what you did was wrong and the way you're living is not right, then we're troubled about these things and then we're made to think about it and then we're made to seek the Lord and to pray. So it's God allows these things to happen in our lives for our benefit, primarily to bring us back to Himself. This is, uh, what, this is it. This is the starting point. When we become aware of our sin and our guilt, then we, we cry unto Him for the removal of these things. Now, the world, of course, doesn't deny the existence of guilt. But the last thing they will tell you is to follow David's advice here. The last thing the world will say, and I've intimated this already, is uh, turn to God, pray to God, seek the Lord until you find peace with Him. That's the way to get rid of that guilty conscience. The psychologists uh, today, well, they have their own, their own tips uh, to cure guilt. Eliminate negative self-talk, uh, they say. Go for a walk, take a break. Oh, take your mind off things, talk to a friend. These are all of the psychologists of the world. How they, this is their actual tips for curing guilt. Journal your thoughts. Oh, oh I like this one. Practice self-compassion. Have compassion on yourself. Well, how is that going to help me? Well, it may help us in other ways, friends. It may help us uh, in those other kinds of guilt. But when we're talking about our relationship with God and how to be at peace again with God, these kind of tips are totally ineffective. They are useless. They can do our souls no good whatsoever. We must follow the biblical way. We must come as David here came and he obtained a mercy from the Lord. So what is, friends, the cure for a guilty conscience. Well, let's look uh, very quickly uh, through this psalm. Firstly, as I've said already, you must get alone with God. That's what David is doing here. He's a king, he's got all the business, but he's, he's gone into his chamber and he gets down on his knees perhaps and he prays and he's, he calls upon the Lord. You have to do that, friends. Have you ever done that? Do you spend time in our busy world that we live in on your own with the Lord, talking to Him, crying out to Him? That's the, that's the beginning. That's how it starts. You cannot do it, as it were, just in the crowd. God, you, you must deal, uh, uh, deal with the Lord just between you and Him. One on, a one-on-one -on -one session, uh, crying out to Him for help. And you need to address this matter head-on. Lord, this is the issue. I come to you with my guilty conscience. I come to you with my sins. I have done this and this. And you want to op speak openly to the Lord. Lord, have mercy upon me. But you must get alone with the Lord, friends. There will be other things that will 
clamor for your attention in this life and will try and stop you from getting alone with the Lord. But you have to make time here. Oh Lord, he cries in verse 1. Again, verse 2, have mercy upon me, oh Lord. Uh, and again, the second part, oh Lord, heal me. He is crying out to God with all his very being. Verse 4 again, uh, verse 3, but thou, O Lord, how long? Verse 4, return, O Lord, how long? He's addressing uh, his God. That's what we need to do, friends. But then, in verse 1, look at what he says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger. Notice, friends, he's not saying, don't rebuke me, but he's saying, Lord, when you rebuke me, don't do it in anger. Lord, drop that part. Deal gently with me, as we sang in that hymn on that psalm. Gently, gently, Lord, lay thy rod. Deal with me in this kind way. I am accepting the rebukes. He didn't say, Lord, you're wrong. You've got it all wrong about me. I'm not a sinner. I, I don't do bad things. I'm a good person. He doesn't say that. He acknowledges what God says. He has it. He takes God's side against himself. When God condemns him and said, uh, you deserve to be punished for your sins, he says, yes, Lord, I fully agree. I deserve to be punished for my sins. And the Lord says, David, you deserve to go to hell because of your sins. It's so grave. It's so serious an offense. And David says, yes, Lord, I fully agree with what you're saying. Your rebuke is right. It's correct. I agree with it. But he says, Lord, still, deal gently with me and uh, uh, don't uh, cast me off. This is what he, he's doing. He's willing to take the rebuke. He's willing to agree uh, with God. He doesn't resist it. Do I? Am I the same? Do I desire to be cured of my guilt? Then I too must agree with God's assessment of me. When he says things to me, I say, yes, Lord. Do you remember that lady? He came to Christ, and uh, the, the Lord sort of referred to her, implied perhaps that she belonged like to the dogs, the Gentile dogs. And what did she say? I'm not a Gentile dog. No. She said, yeah, Lord. Truth, Lord. It's true. She agreed. Oh, friends, this is the beginning. We come in that humble way. And uh, we accept what he says about us. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it, today? People don't like to be told negative things about themselves. Be positive. Speak nice things to people. Don't speak hard things to people. We don't like all these things. People don't like to be corrected these days. We don't want to be shown that we are in the wrong. People don't like to admit even that they are sinners these days. I remember when the Lord was dealing with me and, I, and he was pointing out to me that I, was, I wasn't right and I was, uh, wasn't as good a person as I thought I was. And I fought with the Lord and I refused to believe that. I said, no, I'm a good person naturally. And the Lord said, you're not a good person. And I kept on this resistance to what he was telling me I really am until experience shows you otherwise, that you really are an, a, 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 a sinful person and uh, your righteousness 
is unacceptable to God and full of holes. And that's what we, we need, friends, not to resist the Lord, but to agree with him. Verse 2, have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. He's troubled in his body as well as in his soul. But listen, look at here, he's crying for mercy. In the midst of his distress, he still sees in his mind's eye that God is a merciful God, that God is a, a gracious God, a forgiving God. He knows God's character. Yes, he knows God is holy and hates sin and cannot stand sin and must punish sin, but at the same time, he knows that God is a merciful God. He is ever ready to pardon. He is full of compassion. He is full of pity. He is willing to pardon all who call upon him. He delights to show mercy. He knows this. He knows that this is God's character. And so he can, is encouraged to pray to him. I'm sure this week you've caught uh, the, the court case which uh, uh, made the headlines during the week. This, this man who uh, was... Uh, convicted of, of attempted murder and convicted of a manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibilities. Remember how he took the lives of uh, three people, I think it was up in, somewhere up north, it was in Manchester, I cannot remember, remember exactly. But uh, the family came out and the family were interviewed on TV and of the victim's family and they said, I can never forgive that person. I can never forgive. Some people say I can forgive, but they say I can never forgive that person. Well, one can partly understand their feelings after what's happened to them, but with God, He will never say that. God will never say that I can never forgive. Oh, our offenses against Him are much, much greater than any, anything we do to one another. Much, much greater. And yet still, because he is merciful, he will say to you and I, I, I can forgive you. There's the verse, there is forgiveness with God. There is forgiveness with you, therefore you, you may be feared. Oh friends, what an encouragement to us uh, to go uh, to the Lord. But how does God show mercy? Is it in some arbitrary way, some random way, some whimsical way that he shows mercy? Not at all, friends. Some religions will teach you that, that God is, he may forgive you or he may not forgive you. It depends how he's feeling at the time and depends perhaps on what you've done. Some religions will tell you that and you only find out after you've gone. But no, friends, it, God is not like that. God cannot do that. Uh, do that. He is holy. He is just. He must punish sin. So he had to devise a way for him to show mercy. How could he on the one hand uh, satisfy his justice which demands sin must be punished and on the other hand show mercy to uh, people who, who trust and uh, who look to him and uh, desire forgiveness from him. How could he reconcile the two together? Well, the answer, friends, is in Christ's coming. And in, you look at the cross, there is the answer. There is the solution that God has come up with. There is the remedy for uh, the guilty soul. What is it? Christ dying on the cross. 
because there on the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ was, was taking upon himself God's justice, God's righteous anger fell upon him. God was angry with his son in a righteous way as he was bearing the sin penalty of, of all those who trust in him. And then in doing that, God's justice is satisfied. And so God is now free to show mercy. His justice says, I'm happy, I'm content, I'm satisfied with what Christ has done. And so now he, he was free to extend mercy and forgiveness to those who come to him via Christ. This is the, the way, friends. This is what God has done. Mercy is to be found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we want to be cleansed of our conscience? We must be washed in the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ. But I move on verse 3. David is, he has this knowledge of the Lord that he's merciful even though he has sinned and he longs for restoration. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long, he says. And verse 4, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for my, thy mercy's sake. He's longing to be restored to the Lord. He's in earnest about it. Are we friends? Are we in earnest about these things? Is this a matter of life and of death to us? Or can we just take it and leave it? Here is David earnestly desiring to be right with God. Longing for it. How long, Lord? How long is his cry? It seems like he's been waiting a while and praying a while and he hasn't had an answer. And here he is... Uh, he can, it's as if he cannot wait any longer. He longs to be forgiven. You know, one of the greatest uh, figures in church history, maybe we could even say in history, is uh, Augustine. And Augustine wrote, as you know, the Confessions. He had a very uh, saintly mother, uh, Monica. Of course, he lived in the, the fourth, uh, fourth and fifth centuries. And uh, his, his mother, Monica, uh, she used to pray daily for Augustine. She was a believer, and she prayed for him to become a believer as well. But he, as he grew up, he turned to sinful living. He got very deeply involved in immoral living, and he found himself bound by a sinful and, and self-indulgent life. He was just giving away to his lust. And at 32 years old, uh, when he was in Milan, he was there in a, a deep state of distress. And uh, he, in his own words, he says, I flung myself down under a certain fig tree, and with sorrowful cries, I cried to the Lord, How long, how long, tomorrow or tomorrow, and tomorrow and tomorrow, why not now? Why is there not this hour an end to my uncleanness? It was his cry. And as he, was, as he prayed that, he heard a voice. Was it was a boy or a girl, he didn't know. But he heard a voice or, or, or singing. And, and he said, take up and read, take up and read. Well, he never, he wasn't familiar with that song. It's not a song that he grew up with. And there weren't any children actually around uh, at that time. So he heard this voice and he took it as a command from heaven to take up the Bible and read. 
and he took it up. And the first uh, uh, passage that his eyes alighted on was in Romans 13. And he read there, not in writing and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And instantly, all gloom vanished, he says, and uh, security was infused in my heart. That's how the Lord worked in him. Desperate for salvation, desperate for deliverance from guilt and bondage to sin. And the Lord heard his cry. Well, verse 5. This is uh, David saying, In death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave. Who shall give thee thanks? Now David knew about the afterlife. It's not as if he doesn't know. He knows that there is a heaven. He knows that there is a hell. But it seems that his sin has so got to him that he thinks he's cut off from God. And he thinks that if he he's dies in this particular state, he will end up in hell. And he is fearful of that. And he doesn't want that. And he's, he's as it were, placing an argument before the Lord. In death, Lord, people don't remember you in the grave. Who shall give you thanks? And he's desperate to, to be right with, the, with God because he doesn't want to end up in that state where he is forever set and never praising God and never being in communion with God. You see, it's not just that he wants to be free from a troubled mind. He's desperate for the Lord. He wants to be reconciled and in contact with God. He's not just after a happy, trouble-free life. It's God he wants. It's the Savior he wants. And he, he says, this is my opportunity uh, to be saved, to obtain God's mercy. If, you, if I die in this condition, it's, it's a great fear in him. It's, Lord, then I, I may end up in hell and I may end up never ever giving you praise and thanks again. You'll never hear such a voice from me. Oh, friends, it's a lesson for us as well that this is our time uh, to, to, to get right with the Lord. This is, while we have life in this world, is our opportunity to be saved. When we leave this world, we enter into an unalterable state from which, in which we are fixed and from which we can never, ever es uh, escape. Either we will be in a place where we are praising God forever, or we will be in a place where we never praise Him. That's the end, friends. Somebody put it like this. It's rather like a, a sculptor. And he's, he's, uh, he's done, uh, he sculpted his, his statue already. But when he's putting on his inscription, well, if he makes a mistake in his writing that final inscription, that inscription is engraved on that statue for good, for forever, as it were. And that's what happens with us. When we die, whatever state we die in, we're set in that particular state forever, for eternity. Do we die praising God? Then we shall be forever praising God. Do we die without faith, with a guilty conscience? Then, friends, we shall end up uh, in a place where there is no remembrance of the Lord. But verse, verse uh, seven, 6 and 7, here again we see his intensity uh, his groaning 
uh, his, uh, his eyes consumed with grief as well. And such an intenseness of feeling from David's part. But God, we can say, doesn't require such intensity from us. But what he does require is genuineness and sincerity and a heartfelt repentance and a heartfelt confession and a heartfelt shame on our part for our sin. But verse 8, this is so important too. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Repentance. Not only confession of sin, there must be a giving up of our sin. There must be a turning away from our, our sins. We cannot hold on to our sins and at the same time have forgiveness and at the same time go to heaven. It's impossible, friends. We must uh, turn away from those things that we know and that have been pointed out to us and repent uh, heartily and sincerely uh, from them. It's so vital. Here David puts away those workers of iniquities. And uh, I close with this in verses 8 and 9. He, he says, Lord, but the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. He hasn't come to the end of his prayer yet. And already he's rejoicing that the Lord has heard his prayer. And verse, verse 9, the Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. He, before he said his amen, the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard me. He has heard. He has heard. Uh, he, uh, he, 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 he says, he's heard my cry for forgiveness. He has heard my cry for cleansing. He has heard my cry for restoration and reconciliation. The Lord has heard me. Oh, friends, you come to the Lord. You come as David did in this manner, and the Lord will surely hear your cry. The Lord will come and draw near to you, and the thing is, you will know it. You will know that he has heard your prayer. You will know that he has cleansed your conscience. You will know that he has taken away your guilt when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He will give you an assurance that this is done, and that you are for his and his forever. This is what happened to David. This is how he found uh, peace with God again. This is how he got rid of his guilt. May I encourage you one more time, old friends, get alone uh, with the Lord. Tell him about your guilt. Be honest before God. Don't hide anything. Tell him you agree with his verdict about you. Confess your sin and keep an eye at the same time on the mercy of God and uh, that he is a pardoning God. There is forgiveness with him. Plead this before him. Turn from sin to Christ and he will turn to you surely. Take away your, uh, your guilt. He will take away your guilt. He will take away the condemnation hanging over you. You will be his. You will be his child. And he will give you true, real, and lasting peace. And no matter what happens in the world, outside of you, at that time, well, you've had the most important matter sorted out. Peace between you and God. And no matter what else troubles you, it will be relatively minor compared to what 
uh, you have done here and the peace you have found with God. Well, may the Lord help us to do these things. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our gracious God, we praise you again that there is mercy uh, to be found in you. And oh Lord, we ask that you would help us uh, that we may, uh, if we haven't done so as yet, we may uh, go to you and find uh, in you all that you have said that you are a merciful and a pardoning God. We confess that we are guilty and needy sinners, but Lord, we know that you are a great Saviour, a kind Saviour, a one who has obtained and made a way for us to be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And we pray that we may avail ourselves of these things and be yours and yours forever. O oh Lord, help us and bless us. We ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which number, number 378, with broken heart and contrite sigh, 378.